Okay, so we are starting just something a little new. I received a number of responses to the last email reflection that I sent out about Santa. And one of those responses came from Gabriel Crawford. And he is in Bremerton, Washington. And he is finishing up his Master's of Counseling at the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology. He's married. He's a father of three. He's got one more on the way. And I met him at the CPA conference, the Catholic Psychotherapy Association conference last week. And just really connected with him. And so when he responded and he got into the topic of myth and the importance of myth, I was like, oh, I'm going to ask him to do a little audio with us. So he's here with us in sort of our virtual studio. We are going to have this discussion. Gabriel, it is so good to have you with us. Hey, good morning, Peter. I'm hoping to bring a little magic to our conversation (laughs) here. (laughs) So tell us just, you know, you briefly in your email to me when we had James, you brought up the importance of myth. Tell me why you think myth is important. Give me some ideas about Yeah, that. good question. Um, well, first part, I'm not a literature expert, but my um, I think that the center of my observation or my thought had to do with the way in which myth opens our eyes uh, through the experience of awe and wonder to see things that perhaps are foreclosed or a bit off the horizon of what we typically see and experience so that there's more to reality than which we can perceive with our senses. And I think myth, fantasy, story, fairy tale, sacrament are all at play within that process. Right. And so when I, when I wrote, you had a reaction. Tell me, tell me just about when you read the email, kind of what happened. And this can be like, we haven't talked about this before. This yeah. is totally unscripted, by the way. So we're just kind of getting into it. Like what, what, what troubled you or what did you think needed to be addressed in that email reflection that I sent out? Something was missing. Something led you to respond. So, yeah, thank you. Thanks for the question. Um, I think my, my gut is well, I believe in Santa Claus. <laughs> Santa Claus is real. And, here, yeah, and here's okay. Peter telling me I've been lied to. And I'm lying to my kids. And what uh-huh. the heck? So, um, <laughs> so, you know, so I think for me, um, this notion of, well, it's a question I wrestled through before. Okay. in the past and engaging certain texts on well who is santa claus and mm-hmm. and what's what's the myth what's the story that we want to portray when we talk about santa claus especially with our children um and so i think at heart there is yes i believe in santa claus but he's not the way in which we think he really is um and so i think that's kind of the sense of how mm-hmm. I kind of responded and encountering you, I'm like, I bet he might, Peter might respond. <laughs> well, I love it because I want this to be more, I want there to be an exchange, right? Mm-hmm. I want us to be in community and souls and hearts. I want us to have this exchange of ideas. I want us to be engaged in this joint collaboration, the search for truth together. Yeah. And I am, I am, behind you when it comes to the importance of myth. Like in my family, we're big into the Lord of the Rings. We're big into the Chronicles of Narnia. We're big into the ancient Roman and Greek myths. Um, We're big into fairy tales. 
The difference though for me is that when we read those and we discuss them from when the kids are small and as they're growing up is that it's never presented as a as a reality in terms of the historicity of the narrative. In other words, you know, my kids are not confused about whether Middle Earth like is a place that you could go to on flight 579 from Delta, you know, whereas with the Santa Claus business um you know, I remember the way I was raised. My said in the email, my sister was a true believer. I was a believer until there, and there wasn't, there's was sort of this jarring realization that, hey, this wasn't, and there's no sort of contextualization of it. Then that, that troubles me, right? Because then it kind of seems incomplete or, or hard for a kid to figure out. So I'm just curious about kind of working that in, in some way. Those are great thoughts. I, I went to culture. And what I hear you saying is it seemed like your children's felt like the Lord of the Rings was a little less believable than the story of Santa Claus. Is that what I was hearing? Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't say it in terms of the themes. Okay. Uh, in other words, it wasn't. Yeah. I mean, in terms of confusing it with reality. Yeah. They weren't confusing the Lord of the Rings with reality. There wasn't like nightmares about orcs you know like right. that they could come and get us you know but there are or, nightmares of like... santa claus shimmying down the <laughs> chimney <laughs> well i wouldn't say there was <laughs> nightmares about santa claus i you know and so for example we never did we never we never discussed this with the kids yeah. i mean we didn't we discussed santa claus but it, not as the sort of commercialized version of him mm-hmm. um you know so that wasn't an issue but when we read the lord of the rings there was there was never sort of a question as to whether we were relating a historical um, mm. you know, some sort of a- accurate recounting of it. And I think yeah. that's one of the differences I see between the Santa Claus stories and something like Lord of the Rings or Narnia or, you know, the Greek and Roman myths. Yeah. So it's, well, it seems to have a different feel to it. And it's also so more, much more commercialized. It's mm-hmm. used to push product, you know, in a way. And, and so I was like, ah, I'm not, I'm not so sure, Um, you know, and and I I remain unconvinced about that. Yeah. Well, I want to go back to the notion of Santa Claus or um, culture. I wonder to what degree. So the story of Santa Claus is deeply rooted within uh, Western culture. Um, And each, you know, for instance, the United States has a particular story of Santa Claus. You look at the story of Santa Claus in Germany and England, um, and then even the story of Santa Claus um, outside the Western world um, mm-hmm. in other countries. So, but the Lord of the Rings is is a narrative, um, a fantasy, a fiction um, rising up out of, from Tolkien um, in England that kind of makes its way in the United States and across the world. And it's not, at least to the best of my knowledge, as deeply rooted within culture. Um, its story seems broader and beyond the world and as we know it. But Santa Claus, the story seems to be in, in rooted in our culture, and then our culture forms us. But then also it's reenacted when Santa Claus is at the mall. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, a, there's a man dressed like Santa Claus at the mall, but we don't react. Uh, reenact or act out the story of the Lord of the Rings at the mall. So, right. and, and we don't celebrate with ritual um, the, the, the holiday of right. 
right. things to do with the Lord of the Rings when Frodo threw the ring into the <laughs> Mount Doom. Um, so there seems to be a, something there at play where okay. that story is more more near to us than the Lord of the Rings. So you mentioned that you brought this up to your kids. How do you do that? I'm just curious about how you would bring it in, in a way that you feel fosters their appreciation, their, their awe, their wonder, you know, and helps them to, you know, ultimately become closer to our Lord Jesus Christ or to, I don't know, St. Nicholas or, you know, how does that, how does that look, Yeah, you know, in a family where this has been considered? Because I think that's really different than it happening in a family where it's not considered, mm -hmm. right? Where it's just sort of slid into because it's, you know, culturally popular or you exactly know, kind of like a nice tradition thing to or do. Right. Yeah. You know, I think where we're probably in agreement, uh, at least in one way, is when we tell the story of Santa Claus, we're, we are doing it in a way that is intentional, recognizing that the, that the Santa Claus that Hallmark and capitalist economy of the United States that wants to make Christmas primarily into a consumeristic shopping mm -hmm. event um, right. and the Santa Claus that's associated with that, <laughs> I see as problematic. Um, yeah. And interestingly, a bit of an archetype of consumerist culture. So we don't tell that Santa Claus. <laughs> we tell, well, a perfect example, uh, Kristen, my spouse and I, we were talking uh, a couple days ago or about our coming interaction. And, and she reminded me, she said, oh, well, she, she mentioned Santa Claus to my son, Kellen, who's just about to t turn four. And he has a twin brother, Aiden. So two four-year-olds. And Kristen mentioned Santa Claus, and Kellen said, well, Santa Claus is Saint Nick. <laughs> um, so for Kellen, and, and that, I think, brings out the distinction that, that we've intentionally and consciously, explicitly attempted to make, that, that Santa Claus is Saint Nicholas. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. He's not the, he may not be the fat guy dressed in a red suit who flies <laughs> <laughs> who's um who flies with reindeer um but he really is and was i actually know i want to say is mm -hmm. this person who was a follower of christ and did these things and lived in this time um and threw some dowries potentially down a chimney so mm -hmm. that some poor uh women could get married Mm -hmm. A man who loved the sacrament of marriage that would throw some money down a chimney. Mm -hmm. um, and now this this man has kind of become associated with Christmas and we celebrate him, his feast day on December 6th, I believe, in December. Mm -hmm. And so this is the Santa Claus. So in culture, when you hear the stories of Santa Claus, we're talking about St. Nick. And we <laughs> might dress him like this, but we don't know what St. Nick looked like. We can, we can uh, correlate potentially what he may have looked like. So he might as well look like this guy dressed in a red suit because we don't know what he looks like anyway. Um, so, but I think the whole, the whole enacting um, and ritual of the process around Christmas time and the heart of the matter is the way in which it awakens awe and wonder in their hearts in a culture 
that is going to attempt to um, suffocate the sense of awe and beauty and, and wonder and transcendence. So that makes that makes sense to me. So let me let me make sure I'm understanding. So you're not selling the idea that he rides in a sleigh with reindeer, um, or is that part of your story? I think. I mean, are you? Yeah, we'll read. Uh, we'll read the tr- some of the traditional Christmas books, uh-huh. okay. um, and and I'll often even in the telling of the story, just letting it be. Okay. The story, um, but they, okay. as we can already see, where Kellen says, "Oh, well, Santa Claus is Saint Nick." Right. Um, right. So, okay, I get it. Yeah. So, so they can hear both, if you will, both versions—the Saint Nick version and the um, conventional Santa Claus version—and they even at four, they're starting to make these distinctions yes. because you and Kristen are helping them to think through that and are kind of with them yes. in this actively. Okay, got it. Yeah, they're not just being sat in front of the Christmas specials on TV. And left to sort it out their own way. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> we're we're not neglectful parents on this the Christmas story. <laughs> Figure it out for yourselves. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, you know, so this is a useful thing because we actually celebrate Saint Nick too. Saint Nick comes on December sixth and puts gifts in the kids' shoes. Mm. Right. And so we have that 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 tradition and so if people interpreted my email blast or my email reflection from last week to say hey look you know we're down on saint nick we're down on it anything having to do with the story i, I just want to be clear that no actually we do discuss the story of saint nicholas you know and um and i am not at all opposed to families being thoughtful about how they introduce this in their culture especially when there is, um, you know, a, perhaps some family pressure, you know, to 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 do the Santa Claus thing, you know, or, or there's questions coming from, you know, Aunt So and So, right, about mm-hmm. did Santa come and all of that, and helping kids to navigate kind of those questions and how to how to respond in a way that's appropriate. It's a way that we actually love our children and bringing them up and to say how do we, yeah, how do we, how do we interact and how do we relate around these topics, you know, so right, and as one of the primary duties of the parent is for the sake of education mm-hmm. and even education around such practices of Christmas and the stories that we tell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, what, um, so this brought up some of, um, some of the questions you actually shared with me a, um, a, uh, an article by GK Chesterton who I really appreciate. And we're going to link that. We've linked. We're going to link that in the email, so you'll actually get a link to that in the email, um, where he had some reflections about uh, about Christmas, and he very much um, embraces Santa Claus, right? Um, and so, I mean, any thoughts about that article? Oh, everybody needs to read it. If if Chesterton believes in Santa Claus then you can too. <laughs> and I, I, and I, I think he's, he's probably being a little bit playful as one mm-hmm. ought to be around mm-hmm. Santa Claus. Um, the, one of the primary takeaways for me from that essay was Chesterton's observation about uh, language and importing foreign words mm-hmm. for the sake of losing the familiarity of the word. Mm-hmm. So let me flesh that out. 
in the art in the essay he talks about he's living in England and it's everybody can talk about the Madonna. Mm-hmm. And he says, I don't even know what the Madonna is, but you're talking about the Blessed Virgin Mary. Mm-hmm. And so he he's mentioning there's this movement. We don't want to talk about the saint. We don't want to talk about Jesus. Um, so we import perhaps a foreign word or a different word. We now call it the divine. We call it mm-hmm. the Madonna to um, obscure it a little bit. And I think even a perfect example in today's culture would, would be around the conversation of abortion. We would mm-hmm. say, oh, it's a fetus, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. a baby. Mm-hmm. And we lose the sense, well, fetus is just Latin for unborn baby. But there you bring <laughs> in a word to kind of make it a little fuzzy and confusing. And I think that's one of his observations about losing, bringing in the name Santa Claus to lose the Saint Nick. One of the things that I wondered, I, I, there wasn't, it was a difficult in some ways article for parts of me to read because it, it, first of all, it's really short. So it's only a little bit more than a page. And this was in common wheel from December 20th of 1935. Um, and so I encourage you to read it. It didn't, you're right. He's whimsical. You know, a lot of the, 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 he closes with a whole series of questions. It's hard to to find an, an argument in a sense in it. I mean, it's a very, it's very much an appeal to sort of right brain intuitive thinking. Um, you know, he says, he has this quote in here, a man wrote a poem about how he ceased to believe in Santa Claus at the age of seven and in God at the age of 17 and explained how he really regretted God, not much more than Santa Claus, you know? And, and I was just like, yeah, that just seems still kind of dismissive, right? Like, just like, you know, that, that doesn't really happen. He sort of has this idea that it doesn't, that the teaching children about Santa Claus in general, without any sort of nuance, like we were talking about earlier, has no negative repercussions. And um, I just, and maybe it was different in 1935 in England than it is in 2022 in the US or in other, other nations. But I'm just thinking, you know, there's a bunch of things about developmental psychology here, the ways that kids think in terms of black and white, you know, and are are very concerned about truth and very concerned about attachment. And can I trust you? And things that, you know, I, I just, I, again, I, I just think we're not given a nuanced understanding and I can understand how Chesterton, especially being Chesterton would want to defend the awe and wonder could see that being crushed in you know the interwar period in in the in the in the united kingdom in england and so i'm just wondering if there's any nuancing that you would offer to chesterson's article to those that you know really want to embrace it you know that bring up some of the things that we have been discussing or if you don't think that that's really an issue at all in the way that he wrote i think i hear where you're going there um this his essay is you're right is not um a structured attempt to argue um, for mm-hmm. Santa Claus and taking up the limitations. And right. um, it's, it's a whimsical appeal. Right. I think one thing that, ha- like we talked about myth and we talked about where I think part of the attempt is to not get caught up in the weeds when there's a hurricane blowing through. So I think there's a cultural hurricane 
uh, and this is from uh, Max Weber and Charles Taylor, who talking about over the past 500 years of this movement of disenchantment, um, where the world, and for Max Weber, what he meant by disenchantment was not disillusionment, but um, the, the world losing its magic, the world mm. losing its allure. The, mm -hmm. and, and as we've moved from a culture, Western culture that believes in ghosts and magic and God and, and the transcendent into mm -hmm. a world where all that is real can be touched and studied and repeated in the laboratory, that that's what's really mm -hmm. real, mm -hmm. um, except for a few hot button cultural issues. So, <laughs> so there's this deeper cultural movement going on where I think part of even the stories of Santa Claus as these implicit attempts to fight against the cultural movement of disenchantment so that a child can retain his, his imagination, can retain their hope for something more so that they then grow into an adult who is still able to see Jesus fully present in the Eucharist and since I see Jesus fully present in the Eucharist, I can see Jesus present in the homeless person on the street. So a movement from myth into sacramentality, and which is the adult's kind of view mm -hmm. of the world. Okay. Well, I think, you know, there can be a variety of different perspectives on this. This is not something that's sort of settled in Denzinger as, you know, um, you know, con, you know, I don't know. Just There's just dogmatic. my opinion here. <laughs> Peter. Yeah. 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 There's just your opinion. <laughs> there's right and wrong and you're on the wrong side. <laughs> well, you know, I think there's been, I mean, I, what I love about this conversation is that we can, we can, we can still have different points of view. We don't have to agree on everything, uh, but there can be a, 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 a really interesting discussion because I, I I like the idea of bringing in this concept of myth, and that wasn't really present in the email that I sent out last week. You know, so I think it's really an important addition for people to to consider. And I'm really grateful that uh, that you responded, and I've really enjoyed this conversation, Gabriel. I really I really thank you for getting up so early to do this um well before the sun well before your infant you know to be able to do this with me and just curious if you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share before we end i really enjoyed i really enjoyed this as well um the one <laughs> final thought i think about this conversation is the 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 ways in which we can have charitable disagreement around mm -hmm. matters that are important but we could distinguish them from dire matters where there are some matters where we're like, we just can't disagree on this because the consequences of the disagreement are significant. And so I think this is a matter that's important, but has a little less dire importance than some more um, different issues. So being able to be able to, if we can navigate well and charitably within this, hopefully we can navigate charitably in some of the more dire, dire things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, and I wanted to be clear too, that you know, sort of a parting thought for me is that if you have one concern I did have after I sent it out, that email is that, Oh no, I mean, am I, is there going to be like 
uh, a sense of guilt, like mm-hmm. in, 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 in parents who did do the standard, you know, kind of Christmas thing or, and you know what, I don't believe that teaching your children about Santa Claus or the conventional ways of doing Santa Claus is going to doom them. <laughs> you know, there's so many more factors that go into this than that. So, so it's just a reassurance on that point as well. And so, as we bring this to the close again, I want to thank you. And I want to thank, you know, our Souls and Hearts members for listening and for taking the time to listen to this. And if it if it was something that you really liked, if you like doing these kind of series where we'd have a little audio thing within the email blast, just, just fire me off an email at crisis at soulsandhearts.com. Let me know. All right. All right. Thank you. Take care. And let's just invoke our um let's just invoke our patroness and our patron together, Gabriel, our lady. Our Mother, untire of knots. Pray for us. Saint John the Baptist. Pray for us. 